0: Welcome to the MESPA Principal Podcast, and this is Principal Brett Domstrom from Lake Marion Elementary in Lakeville, Minnesota, and today our special guest is Dr. Brad Gustason of Greenwood Elementary in Wyzetta, Minnesota, and Brad is not just a principal. He's an author, a foodie, a fisherman, a reader, collaborator, a mentor, and of course, fellow podcaster. Brad, welcome to the MESPA Principal Cast.
1: Hey, Brad. It's so good to connect. If my young kids listen to this, they would mock me right now when you said foodie because I burnt some steaks last week and they said they were more like hockey pucks. So I think I lose any food credibility or at least I lost any with them. Hey, I'm noticing in video and I'm sorry if anyone's listening just to the audio version and missing your awesome hair right now, but it looks like you (laughs) and I are rocking the quarantine hairdo.
0: Oh, we are. In fact, I, my, my wife was making a comment about my hair the other day and she said, when's the last time you got your haircut? And I looked it up and it was January 25th. Oh. So I have not had a haircut since then, besides taking a little away from my ears. And so this yep. is, uh, this is hippie Brett right here. Yeah, so. <laughs>
1: same here. And it kind of feels good. I'm kind of having um, high school flashbacks, although I believe it or not, I used to be blonde in high school. Now I'm, I say that I'm silver gray. You were blonde in high school or I'm so, yeah, I was, I know. I tell my kids that and they don't believe it. Um, anyway. Yeah, that's
0: what, well, I'll tell you what, it's it's funny how we all change. But here, Here's a little something, Brad, that you didn't know. I used to have hair down below my shoulders. Like, I, I grew no my hair way. out when I was in the 90s. When, yeah, back in college, I had grown my hair out. And when I did my first student teaching, I was like, I'm going to cut my hair and, like, look professional again. And uh, yeah. it, and then I've never gone back, obviously. It's, that you know, is can't...
1: a fun Brett fact that I never right? knew. I love that. Yeah, it was uh I remember all the phases of
0: growing it out, and then, like, once it finally got long enough, I could put it in point until I cut it off, so go go figure, but the 90s, guys had long hair, like, you saw yes, more people. Yes, and like, I had longer,
1: hair. not not like you're describing, but more kind of the front, the only way I could say, more of, like, a surfer look, and I split it down the middle, and I thought it was the coolest thing. My wife kind of mocks me to this day, so maybe it was maybe it didn't look as good as I thought it did, but, man, it. It was nice to have hair things have kind of receded over time but what do you do it's
0: it's it's the aging process for all of us right so
1: so you know brad i mentioned oh go ahead there's a joke for rachel in the mespa office who maybe helps out with some editing here like this would be the real point to start this podcast because this is (laughs) i'm sorry (laughs) to disappoint brad but it's been all hair and and reliving the glory days so far Maybe (laughs) substance
0: Can we, can we cut that all out? Um, But uh, well, so, so now, so now here we actually, so now to, to kind of get to the meat of this, Brad, you, you wear a a lot of hats and, and you know, you're, you're also a nationally distinguished principal. I mentioned an author before and, and one of the first books that you wrote was Renegade Leadership. And, And I have to say that it was instrumental in, in the way I think of digital leadership, but, it doesn't have to be the focus of what your leadership is. It happens to be a component of how you can lead and how you can utilize tools. Talk a little bit about how you came to decide to write Renegade Leadership. Like what led you to that path?
1: Yeah, great question. So what um when we wrote Renegade Leadership, and I, I just use that intentionally because it has over 30 different educators' voices and stories and examples in it. But the spirit of the book is Kind of, and was like asking would you want that for your kids in in the day and age that they're living in that we're living in would you want that for them or could it be different should it be different could it be better um should we relook at that you know even things that worked incredibly well five or ten years ago um have they evolved a little bit more and we just and we also need to do that so that was kind of the spirit of it it was a little bit um, manifesto I don't even know if I should use that word because I'm not totally sure what it means but it was kind of like a stake in the ground like here are the things that um, a lot of us think are important and we're always learning and our thinking can change but it was a framework to to look at things uh, from a leadership lens too. like even staff meetings and communications and working with kids and newsletters and the list goes on and on and on community engagement um, through a lens of, I, I called it the code, the renegade code, which I still yeah. use and think about like on a daily basis, and just the four really basic levers. And not that we have to play or putts with all the levers at once, but maybe just adjusting one lever on one tradition that you're doing, or one assembly, or one distance learning Zoom meeting to see how the result might be more um, engaging or responsive to the needs of the, the staff. And ironically, Brett, I've um, finding, like I'm looking, I'm relooking at that book more and more the last couple of weeks and months um, than I had for a year or so. Um, and I think with some of the distance learning stuff, it just, it just prompted me to circle back to it. And partly because everything in that book is underpinned by the importance of connectedness and relationships. It's not just, you know, let's do fluffy tech, let's get out the drones and kaz- kazoos and have fun. But it's really like, how might we make this thing called education that we get to do together more meaningful for the kids and the people we serve? So,
0: you know, it's interesting that you mentioned code because your most recent blog post, um, just from last week, you you revisited that and 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 writing about it. And when you, so, so Brad, what is making you? Because uh, I'm a, I'm a person like we record this episode of the podcast, and and this will be a great conversation and I'll be thinking about it, but I don't go back and listen to it again. Part of that's because I can't handle hearing myself. But the other (laughs) part is, is like, you kind of go, okay, I put a lot of energy into preparing for this. We had this conversation and then we move on. Now, when you're with a book, when you get to the point of, okay, I feel really good about it. I've kind of talked about it with other people. And then you've walked away. You said you've walked away for a year. What, brings you back to something that that you wrote what what inspires you to do that
1: so so it wasn't that I walked away from thinking about and trying to live out some of the the renegade traits but it was more like actually rereading the book is what I've been doing because I've wanted to go deeper and remind myself but the code framework is something that like I've you know you and I and principals we hear from a lot of different speakers and authors and stuff and for me personally I needed um, a framework that I could remember in full transparency. So for me, I could remember four letters, you know, collaboration, uh, ownership, digital connectivity, and experiential learning. Those are four things. So I really just tried to distill it down. So those are the things, and I used to actually have it taped up next to my desk, just so every email that I was responding to, I just had that in mind. Like, how am I empowering other people to own this? How am I is this an experience or am I trying to take the easy way out or the the path that's been traveled a hundred times that might not be serving kids as well as we wanted to? Now, um, kind of, fortunately, I no longer have it pinned up next to me, partly because, you know, you train yourself to think about something every day and it just kind of becomes second nature. But going back to actually read through the pages and the stories, it was more just, this sounds really weird, but I'm the type of person, I'll watch a movie, and then three years later, I can watch it again. And it kind of almost feels like I'm watching it the first time. That's really scary. But um, that so that was it for the book, too. It's like, geez, I'm gonna reread this just to make sure I'm not missing anything or kind of remind myself of what I've always been passionate about, but just I'm going to read it again. So well,
0: and what is your core? And what has evolved? I'm sure like when you're writing and you're and you're really putting all this energy into collaborating with others and thinking about what it is you want to put into words um, in that constant revision and editing process you, if you come back another year later it's like okay so what have I learned since then what and what would I if version two came out what would I would I be changing because I think in, in leadership as principles we like your first your first three years where you're just absorbing everything and, and you're figuring out how does this fit into my core, my values? And then your next three years, you have so much more that you can, uh, you've seen patterns, you've experienced things where you can now guide and lead in a different way than when you're first learning how to be that leader. Um, I just, I think that we're constantly building ourselves into being, being somebody, uh, the next evolution, right? Um,
1: we are, yeah. And I've heard people say, like you're never really done writing a book. You just kind of have to say goodbye and part with it, otherwise, you'd be constantly rewriting and and updating it. As you were kind of reflecting there, I was reflecting back, like what would I change? Um, certainly some of the examples probably in the book, but some things, like the code framework, um because it because of everyone whose voice went into it and the passion and the research that it was student centered and and trying to give ownership to the people that we're serving and the people closest to the work. Um, Something that principals like we're not always the best at, or it's a continue, like it's a daily commitment. We have to get up and keep honoring the people who are in classrooms, but those things, those things haven't changed. And the fact that um, relationships underpin, I think relationships still underpin and if, and maybe even more so when it's hard and maybe we took them for granted or I took them for granted, you know, just that we would see kids again tomorrow face-to-face in this quarantine pandemic time. Um, I don't know, just, it all rings true. Not just, not just that book, but anyone who says, anyone who talks about how they're investing in other people and kids and listening and keeping things relational in a digital sense or in tech-rich environment, like, I'm I'm interested. Tell me more, because I want to learn how you do that, because I want to get better at that, especially when... One of the primary things we have right now is a screen.
0: Right. Well, and then how do you build that when you're talking about leverage is, is, is how do you build that relationship from, from a distance? And hopefully we, we spent the whole beginning of the year building that relationship so that now we can do things to keep it going. And, And I have to say, it's, I think that's something we're struggling with as leaders is how do we stay connected to our families? To our students primarily right i mean that's what we're thinking but then we're like okay but now the now the student is with their family unit that whole time that they're doing the learning and how do we connect with their environment and and then um something that you and i've talked about in the past is is staying connected with our staff mm-hmm. um is is they're learning a lot about how to do this distance learning and they're making a lot of the mistakes that we we, we know just when you're learning something new and and letting them know that we're here to support them, that this is what we are about and we're going to learn from it. And and though that, that's a really tricky part is to keep those relationships going even when times do get tough. Because this is a this has been some some of it's been super enlightening. Other parts of it have been a little bit sad as we've learned about some of the environments that our kids are learning in and and how do we how do we give them the most that we know when they're with us we can control that environment better and and give them more opportunities where it looks different from from the home.
1: Right. Um, And I think so I heard you say, you know, that they're making mistakes. And knowing you, I know that you mean that in a growth mindset way. Absolutely. No shame in that. That's how we learn and get better. I guess the way that I'm kind of looking at it though is like they're forging ahead and doing the hard work of figuring it out. I don't even know um, that I would label a lot of what's happening mistakes. It's like, goodness gracious, they're enduring. Each day is different. They're persevering. Partly they're just showing up, which is hard. And kids and parents and everyone um, kind of being in it together. But you have me thinking about that word. And I know that there doesn't need to be a stigma. Like uh, me of all people, I've made a zillion mistakes so I'm not scared of that word, and I don't think that's bad, but I just don't know if it accurately describes, at least for me, the work that teachers are doing.
0: You're, you're right. You, maybe a mistake isn't the right word, and, and the only reason why I say it is because there have been things that we have tried and failed at. and <laughs> went, whoa, okay, first Zoom meeting we had to just hit the eject button you, you know. because as you're learning something new and one of my, uh, one of my kindergarten teachers was sharing a story with me about how she got the kindergartners into their first class zoom and she didn't have everyone muted. She was just like so excited to hear their voices and it just turned into everyone was talking over everyone. And she was like, I had just lost control and, and it was, it was hilarious, but she was like, I'm sure those parents just went, wait, what just happened? Cause I just turned the meeting yes. off because I just didn't know what to do. So I just ended it. And, and 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 it's it's one of those where it's the quick learning the learning lessons. Even though we prepped ahead of time of how to do a group meeting, when you're with adults, everything everyone takes their turn, everyone waits, and 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 so you're right. It's not mistakes, but some of the stuff we feel like we need to be perfect at. You know, as as teachers, we're expected to be the experts in everything, and when it doesn't go well, um, it it, sometimes it can feel like a mistake. But you're right; it's from that growth mindset and that learning
1: perspective. I've had the chance to be. Part of quite a few class Zooms. And, you know, in the bricks and mortar sense or in the face to face sense in the building, I usually walk out of rooms just with a sense of gratitude and admiration and being just really impressed by what I'm seeing and what our kids get to experience with their teachers. But in these Zoom meetings, I'm like, oh, bless you. But, you know, oh, (laughs) it's amazing. Like, I was in one recently and one of the kiddos. Uh, was just filming their pet rat the whole time, you know. It just and the teacher was just having a great conversation, rolling. And of course, there were twenty one other things, or what you know, twenty five other things happening on screen. And the teacher just was so gracious and kept things moving and engaged with kids and showed them love. And here I am, kind of like squirrel or rats, you know. It's <laughs> right. just, it's just something special that um, it just you know, unless you're living it, like our kiddos and parents and teachers and principals to a certain certain degree, you just couldn't really explain some of the educational side of this stuff.
0: Hats off. Hats off to our teachers because they, they are doing, they're doing some pretty amazing things um, with not a lot of time for preparation for what this looked like. And uh, I, I hope that it will be, we'll be able to take a lot of these lessons that we're learning Um, and bring that to what does our next year look like that I I think we have just college does one thing to teach you a lot of lessons right you can read you can hear about theory you can figure out how that how how that changes your practice but when you are practicing and having to revise a lot I I think that's going to really help all of us be better when we come back together again
1: it reminds me a little bit Brett when we get student teachers who apply or you know emerging educators and they want a job job and you'll see on their resume you know i created a social studies unit and i'm not i'm never super impressed by that because i think everyone creates a social studies unit like tell me tell me more or what did that look like or what the matter to you but the the stuff that we're going through together now is like okay as principals even I don't know how, how important it is to say I did distance learning or I helped with that. It's like, well, we're all kind of doing that. So tell me how you had kiddos um, thriving. Tell me how you were responsive to parents. Tell me how kind of you made a difference. Tell me how you helped teachers and listened and, and adjusted. So it's just an interesting uh, thing to think about Like, kind of getting back to that recent blog post. Like what does it look like? You know why does it matter? Tell, give me, give me the depth. What were you wrestling with, and what solutions did your team? What what solutions were born? What new thinking that led to deeper meaning and impact resulted?
0: It's uh, and and that reflection is such a key piece. Whether you're new to career or whether you're just experiencing a lesson in a day is is really how do we how do we get better from this, or what did I learn about some students? Because that's what I think is oftentimes. We're, we're just someone end of the year grading and like the whole harmless factor. And, and what did we learn about some students and what they, cause some students have actually thrived. We've done really well with having like yeah. prescriptive knowing what's happening this week. And they're, they're pr- participating in all the uh, chats and they're, and it, it surprised some people I'm like, wow, I never would have expected this would be in your wheelhouse. And I, mm-hmm. it's fun hearing teachers talk about, I never knew this about this child. And, and so you just so see when that. you
1: say that, this is really, this is exciting to me. When you say some kids thrived, which I've seen too, like, wow, that's great. Glad that you're loving life and getting a lot out of this. It reminds me of what you said right when we first started today. I don't know if we had even hit record yet, but talking about um, like, what are we going to carry over once a school year starts, whether it's a hybrid model or something similar or more of a traditional model. But like those are the conversations I'm excited to have specifically. Like, would you notice that actually in this, in these tragic times, what actually really helped kids and what were they excited about? And then how do we, and why was that, you know, mm-hmm. what, what's different about it and what did we miss before and what might, what might we be able to do with more kind of ongoing res- resources and sustain PD in that and support like, what if we actually made some real changes based on some of the <laughs> silver linings and positive things that we saw?
0: Absolutely. And, and Brad, you and I, years ago, have had the conversation about standardized testing. And and what, so this is our first year without having a formal standardized test to, to assess ba- progress on the standards. So without that pressure, but having a different level of pressure coming from, from distance learning, what, uh, what did we see? improve what did we see change in the way you were thinking because we all know when spring comes there is a little bit of level of pressure even though we say testing doesn't matter there's still a little piece of that 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 comes through right Uh, Mm -hmm. because we still want to show that our students know what they know and uh, i i know that teachers actually felt like okay wow i don't have to worry about a test so how do i make sure that the kids are really digging deeper into this and and it's like oh well then go with it like that's what we want you to do like you know take that time to go deeper if you see your kids are showing genuine excitement and they're wanting more then that's where the you know let that drive some of your teaching and it's uh it's something that's exciting because some of those conversations don't naturally happen in the springtime and the
1: thing that like the cautionary tale that's a goes with what you just said is that yeah. for decades and decades a system and professional development and school designations and even property values there's a whole cycle of things that are connected to those tests and some of it's pretty icky and not very child-centered um, and some of it um, ha- actually helps a fraction of it helps lead learning right so um, yeah. meaningful assessment is a good thing that, let me be clear on that but what I would caution, you know, principals, if anyone is kind of judging their school or saying, we tried, let's say they're not satisfied with distance learning. We tried not having tests and look, you know, my kid floundered, you know, let's keep in mind what you said earlier, the, the low amount of prep time and resources. I mean, currently the system is not built to to do, or at least, you know, maybe in a few weeks worth of investment was to have it be what it is right now. but this isn't our best, this isn't us at our best yet, you know, we're showing up and giving our best, but imagine if resources and even conversations and your subconscious was wired to help kids thrive as whole learners, then what would that look like over time? And that's a pretty uh, ridiculously exciting question. A a quick kind of side story is when, like, if people visit our school to check out what teachers are working on and doing, a lot of times they'll see, um, like, pretty cool, meaningful stuff. But one of the questions is, how does that help uh, standardized tests? Or sometimes they word it more eloquently. Like, how how does that impact student achievement? And usually when they're asking, Brett, to be honest with you, I think they're asking. So when they go back to their schools and talk to their principals, they're able, I mean, they're prepping, they like what they saw teachers doing, but they kind of want to justify and be ready to answer our questions, Mm -hmm. which is kind of, uh, not the greatest thing like I always encourage people that's a that's an okay question but do we, does it have to be the only question what if what if it was paired with what if we always led with maybe two questions like how are we helping this kiddo um, understand themselves better and achieve at a high level or how are we nurturing creativity and helping kids learn at a high level or do well on tests or whatever the case may be but when there's only one question and when that question is often linked to um, or put in our malls in principals' malls before we even ask it. Um, then the vicious circle kind of con- continues, and we've got you know we've got work to do. So part of part of this leadership and this opportunity of these times is just conversational leadership. Just like right now, like let's talk about everything this matter, everything that matters. In addition to kids doing performing well on their assessments. You know, Brad. Every time we talk. I learn. <laughs> it's uh, I, I appreciate the uh,
0: the, the perspective and that uh, w- way of helping shift the conversation, right? Well, the, that's that... the
1: the learning is always mutual. On a side note, so I think you've kind of alluded to that. You and I have known each other for many years, but I remember. Um, some car rides to ed camps when we yeah. first met just i forget how far away they were because i'm kind of directly challenged like but the that, big
0: but... one was the wisconsin one
1: yes yes but just like some of those are some of my favorite times just like being captive in a car hopefully it wasn't too scary for you but like was no pressure of a schedule like we're driving from point a to point b and we get to enjoy enjoy learning from one another and catching up and conversing so Anyway, that was a long way for me to say the the respect is mutual.
0: Yeah, well, you know, uh, the for for our audience out there, just to know is that uh, to tell you about who Brad is as a leader is when I first uh, jumped on Twitter back in 2009. Um, I, uh, I followed Brad and several other ed- educators as I was kind of dipping my way into, into the pool. And I was a, I was a teacher at the time and I reached out to Brad just out of the, out from the cold and just said, hi, you don't know me, but my name is Brett Domstrand, and I want to be a principal someday and, and asked Brad for, for some time and some advice and uh, and he didn't know me, but he talked about some of the things that I need to make sure that I'm understanding and learning as a as an aspiring leader. And um, and then when I did finally get my first interview, I reached out to Brad again and and said I got my first interview. And and Brad just threw some things for me to be thinking about, not about how to be a better interviewer, but about who I am as a leader and who do I view myself and to be able to be true to what I what I was believing in. And and what I was doing, and um, now here I sit as a, as a fellow colleague, and uh, and I, I thank Brad every time I, I can, and uh, just to to say that you know it, it really does matter what we do as leaders and our impact on other people, and um, and and this can be a this can be a lonely job if you choose mm-hmm. to let it, or it can be a place of great collaboration and and a way to push each other to be better for our kids. Um, and, uh, and Brad, you modeled it and you've led me to be that same thing. Of, I want to, I want everyone to be better. We're all great and we can all keep learning and improving.
1: And, uh, yeah. Thanks, Brad. I have, it is an isolating or it can be an isolating profession. You know, I remember teaching and whether you shut your door or not, you're kind of alone with a bunch of amazing kids all day. And maybe you see people during lunch or as you're sprinting to the bathroom or whatever, you know, Um, but even as a principal too, kind of, it's a such a unique role because at least in a building, there's a very few number of people who are um, kind of privy to all the great conversations and work and thinking, but also some of the more difficult things. And um, I think reaching out is such a powerful thing. I think it's, like Dave Burgess has talked about education being uh, or educators being just this so reciprocal. And, you know, I know I've reached out to tons of different people, yourself included, but never have been disappointed. And sometimes people can't chat at that moment. And of course we all get that, but usually I'm surprised at the level of kind of grace and care and just how everyone comes, comes alongside one another. So the, the moral of the story that I've, learned. And what I think I hear you saying is like, when we reach out to people, um, they have so much to offer. And I've, I've been benefited from that so much. So any like aspiring principals or even principals that are listening who haven't tried that um, with one another, it's, it's so cool, whether it's a principal in your district or not. It's, it's weird how that doesn't matter. We all just care.
0: You know, it's interesting because today I was doing a reference check Um, on a a new hire and I was so I was looking at the principal and I said I know her and I and I gave her a call and she was talking about her first year in principalship and we had we had talked early in September during an early career principal training for through MESPA and and I and I talked to her about what she's learned and what she's identified her about herself as a leader and and you know it's it's just it reminds me of like we are all connected in such a it, it really is a small world um in education and in principalship. And so um I,
1: I did a reference call well I've done a bunch of reference calls the last two days, but a couple of them I'm just thinking, and that literally this is yesterday and today, you know, your phone is at you can see the timer on it or whatever. And it's like goodness gravy, this principal has given me 40 minutes of their life just to talk about someone who hasn't even worked in their building for a year or two. And I think that says a lot about the principal, but I also think it says about how much they care about the people that they serve, i.e. teachers who they just want to share what the great things they know about them and support them and have them land in a great spot. It's just a really cool thing. And that's probably another element that um, I know when I was a teacher, I didn't think too much about unless it was a principal maybe doing a (laughs) reference for me, but like there are um, it's just really cool it's really cool to have someone be so giving of their time
0: mm-hmm. you know Brad, so earlier i was mentioning that that you are a doctor first of all congratulations because i know the hard work that it is um Thanks. what 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 led you to decide to become to, to pursue doctoral work, you've got younger kids. I mean, I know your kids are a, only one left in elementary school, but but um, you chose to go after your doctorate while being a principal, while having younger children um, and and trying to be balanced that what what made you pursue it? number one, and number two, how did you keep your life in balance while being an author? and also uh, a doctoral student.
1: It, it feels too cliche and dorky to even say out loud, but since you asked, I won't skirt the question. It's just, like, I just love learning, and I'm so sorry that that's so like, cliche. I wish I could give you a more exciting answer, but it's an expensive <laughs> hobby, right? I think that's right. one of the reason why I really also enjoy social media and reading blogs and researching on my own, because you don't have the bills associated with it that you do um, school. But it was um, the first class I took. So I got my degree at Bethel University. It was a hybrid online um, situation. So lots of classes at home around hours that worked for me. But also every summer we'd all get together in person for a couple weeks. So it was really cool because then you knew the people that you were interacting with in forums over the year. Um, But uh, I totally forgot where I was going. You took me down Doctoral Road and my mind just turned to mush.
0: Um, (laughs) Well you're tying together about about how do you how do you manage to balance it all out pursuing the doctorate being a oh, family, being an author
1: Yeah yeah okay so what I was going to say is the first class alone that I took it was on assessment which okay you know but I, I walked out of there thinking okay if this is if this is all I get from the next several years of this program it's worth it's worth it that is how ridiculously good or the scary part how and this is probably just me, not like other principals, but like how ignorant I was on some assessment practices. It's like, oh my gosh, this is stuff that actually is going to help me be like better or a more critical consumer of research or not just take things at face value, but ask better questions. And even when we're making, you know, having conversations at the district level about assessment and things like that, like just different questions to ask that actually serve kids and learners. I can actually maybe contribute or almost hold my weight a teeny bit like, one of the biggest things, in case people are wondering, like, one of my biggest takeaways from that was, um, you know, to what degree is this assessment making an ins- instructional contribution? Or, or, you know, in simpler terms, what's the instructional contribution of this assessment? And if the answer is, well, I'm not, I don't really know. It's to... Um, It's to showcase growth or, you know, which is an okay answer, but like, is it really like, to what degree is this serving kids and helping us teach differently and better for that kiddo? Like that's a question I know I've circled back to multiple times every year. So that's just one little example. That's more of a bird walk from your original question. And then the balance thing. I don't know. I think it's like anything. If you're passionate about tennis, um, you're going to find a way to balance playing tennis in your work, you know? So yeah. I'm passionate about reading and stuff like that and writing, so find a way find a way to do it. My wife is incredibly supportive. We have kind of an interesting relationship where she has her passions and things and I have mine. And, and by that I mean like I actually like cooking and um, I think she's happy that I like cooking because that's not her passion. So, mm-hmm. you know, she was mowing the lawn today and I remember, you know, that's just for, for some more traditional families. Not, you know, I don't think anyone should ever be like gender hamstrung. That's not appropriate. But for us, we've worked things out in a way that feels really good for us as a partnership. And that allows me also to do the things um, that I get to do to try to make a difference. But I do remember in my first principal job, Deb was pregnant with one of our kiddos. And and I forget if it was a second or third kid, but um She like nine months pregnant. Okay. She's out mowing the lawn. And then an older male neighbor who who I didn't know came and just reamed me for making her mow the lawn. And I had to laugh. I'm like, do you know my wife? Like make I can't make her do anything. (laughs) She's amazing. (laughs) She's independent. This is a partnership. Like buddy, you go try to stop her from mowing the lawn. (laughs) She's trying to mow the lawn to have a baby. Okay. (laughs) Anyway. Um, she ended up going into labor that day, Brett, which was kind of her plan. You know what I mean? So she's very smart too. Very intuitive.
0: Uh, you know, Brad, you're, you're making me think of something uh, when you were talking about that, that, that pursuit of learning. And I, I had Dr. Katie Pikel from the university of Minnesota on our last episode. And she said, the thing about earning your doctorate is it teaches you to be a better thinker. And and that is something that i'm learning is is the more you think about things that allows you to apply though that thinking into all these new situations and and even though it's not exactly what you were saying just what you learned about assessments what you learned what you thought about what you're applying now down the road i mean now you're a few years out from having your doctorate is uh, it just resonated with me so i just wonder i
1: feel like i'm condition. being i feel like you're baiting me here brett to really let my nerd flag fly so i've been holding back <laughs> but i just you keep asking about research and stuff so i can't. I, here it comes people you know tune out now but like with this doctoral thing just subconsciously and as i'm reading like you read all research is not created equal that's one of the things i learned so now when i read like i have a more discerning eye like looking at the generalizations being made about study x y and z because i've heard people say and it feels kind of true like you can find research to kind of prove and support anything i mean that's how it seems so like um sampling methods and and the population and the inferences made and the you know there, even on peer-reviewed stuff. It is fascinating. So as we re, as principals are reading, as I'm reading stuff, I just yeah, I ask different questions too. And I'm not saying I'm good at it, but I do kind of get a kick out of just not reading it and accepting it at face value. It's like, tell me more, you know? Right? Let's you have dig a, more a little critical deep. eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's dig a little deeper here. So. Yeah, it's it 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 does change it does
0: change your thinking. You just learn to want to know. Well, what's the source? How was this done? It just when you start learning quantitative and qualitative methods and you start getting, it's like, Oh, Oh, like it, 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 some of it makes sense. And it's like, I just didn't think this way. And then once you're, once you're made aware, you can't step away from that thinking. Right. And that's right. the, that's, yes. that's that pursuit of education. Is, and, is, and
1: you know, when you talk about qualitative and quantitative, it, the, the balance in that um, numbers alone, don't tell the whole, whole story. Sometimes the story matters. Sometimes the mm-hmm. context matters and those themes and, you know, qualitative research should not be dismissed. It's a little bit harder to put in a PowerPoint and quote and cite, but that's really important stuff too. Because, you know, interestingly enough, every principal in Minnesota will, um, I, you know, I'm assuming will kind of nod their head at this, but like you can tell us all to do something because the research says it or that 99% of schools had favored positive results. But if you don't factor in the context and the kiddos and their stories and some of the politics and different support structures and the resources and and how the district functions. I mean, all of that matters. And that's why Mm -hmm. leadership is so awesome uh, and so challenging. But just like teaching, there's the art and the science and it's really hard to to separate the two.
0: You know, it's interesting when you said that um, there's a story Right, it's not just about what the data says. Is I'm I'm going to use that to shift us into another question, and 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 that's the story of reclaiming our calling. Um, you know, we talked about renegade leadership in the beginning, and reclaiming our calling is a is a very different story. I I I, I I've mentioned this to you because I said, Brad, I feel like this is like a story, but it also has like this educational facet of of what we're doing in the classroom, and and so. I, I, it, it, because I enjoyed the story so much and I, I joked with you about this I it was my it was my Mexico vacation book and I <laughs> sat out on the beach and, and I read joked
1: it. right back at you saying the next time you do a book selfie we need some spray tan on the legs or something
0: <laughs> I it was the middle of February everyone but it, <laughs> Just, it, it, it was a book though that I I gobbled up and and um, without without revealing too much, the story just really it, it helps paint a lot of pictures and it, and it, and and so Brad, how did you decide to write a story like this that that is more of a following characters through through a story?
1: Yeah, so um, it's I love creating, I love challenging myself and stretching myself, and I love reading books, including PD books that incorporate stories, like Jimmy Casas is an example, or if you hear a George Kuros keynote, there's so much heart and stories that helps you apply the lessons and the principles and the thinking and and kind of really makes them sticky. And I wanted to write a book that I wanted to read. So so that's what I tried to do, kind of modeling after those, uh, including other people who inspire me and who I learned so much from. So it is packed with stories and it kind of follows like the DNA of the book is stories. And it follows a few key um, people, you know, including, um, I say characters,
0: but yes, people. Yeah. A couple um,
1: couple kiddos or students, um, a teacher. um, So that the theory and the practicality of it, you know, the try this sections is grounded in a whole story of people's lives. Cause absent that you can tell people to try, you know, technology integration or building relationships but like doing that without regard to the, the people that are experiencing it or you know that's just a different that's a different story so it is it's interesting i don't remember how long the book is i feel like it might be um 270 pages sounds familiar i could be wrong about that
0: 270 pages brad the,
1: let me do a okay, reference fact check, check he's and and there's only one person in mespa who fact checks during the 245 pages. 245 245. okay maybe i was (laughs) counting the uh, appendices or something anyway the uh the um intent is that those stories and for how long the book is that you read it in a way that it feels good and it's like you're not each night banging your head or staring at the book on your dresser but you it's, it's a surprisingly quick read. It's and quick people read, have told yes. me that too. Like, jeez, I sat down and did that in one day or two days, which ordinarily when you look at like a 240 page book, that's not always what happens to me. You know, it usually takes a week or so.
0: Well, it was nice because it was it's, it's chunked in a way that you can be reading it and follow and you're following the story as it goes. And you make that connection to, to education in, in such a nice way. Now, we're running out of time, and there's two yep. things I, I want to mention is that um, we're going to talk about Scholastic and your love of books at the end here. But uh, earlier you said your stake in the ground, and, and you are a fellow podcaster, and you've been a guest on many podcasts as well. Everyone, you can just type in Brad Gustafson and on your Apple or your Stitcher or whatever it is you choose, and you'll find Brad's name a lot in a lot of, a lot of podcasts. Podcast, but you do Unearthed uh, with Ben Gilton. And, and so, t- you know, that that model is a brief, short, um, really to the point, hard hitting, though, with good questions with your guests. How did you and Ben decide to come up with the idea of Unearthed?
1: Okay, I'm going to give you the story that hardly anyone, like there might only be two or three people on this planet that know this story, Okay. So Ben and I just started out kind of wanting to do a a school leadership podcast. And we had this idea to do one called Real Deal Ed or something like something equivalent to that where we would kind of gamify it and have it kind of like the best of Jimmy Fallon, like the cool, fun games, but interacting. That was the goal or the vision. And we had somebody on and they were amazing. They were, this principal we started interviewing was so good as she always is. Ben and I were well I'll speak for myself Ben is very wise I was not good and the (laughs) show just felt like a flop and it felt like we were trying to do a podcast instead of trying to learn or help people or, or, or it almost felt like we were trying to do games or something it didn't work and from that we had an awesome conversation with our producer who just guided us artfully like what's your purpose what's you know X, Y, and Z, and from there, unearthed was born, where we're just looking at like let's have deeper and different dialogue about things instead of the you know, you know on Twitter people are tweeting quick things and who knows how much thought and sometimes they're very wise things, but it's like well tell me more about that. How does that actually work? What were the barriers? How how did it make a difference for a kiddo? Um, So that's kind of the impetus for the show. And I do, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least say, because I've been thinking a lot about this the past couple of days, but my buddy, Ben Gilpin in Michigan, his gift, he has many, but one of them is he's so insightful. Like you could just talk to him and there are layers there kind of like where I often think to myself like, huh, I didn't even think about that. And that's cool. And that's nuanced. And he noticed that it's like, it's so cool to have a conversation where uh, we each kind of have our role on the show and his, yeah. his is like thinking and credibility and I'm, I need to figure out what mine is. But anyway, I call you, you're like the hype man. The like hype you just man. Bring, there you go. Yes. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> you bring the energy. It's,
0: it's it. the two of you definitely have that contrasting personality, but I've talked with both of you in more of the collegial conversation and, and, and it's, it's true to both of you though. Like you, what it is is it's just, amplified both of your personalities and, and it's such a short burst it's it's very everyone unearthed um or it looks like unearthed ed if you look at it on on your podcast it's uh it's definitely worth a uh, yeah. a, a listen so and there
1: is like a 10 second educational reason we do it too so even before wanting to do this kind of gamey show Um, We, and again, I should speak for myself, just wanted to get in those waters of digitally connecting because if I'm not doing that, if I'm not learning and modeling and wrestling with it, how on earth am I ever going to support a kid or a student who's dreaming of maybe being a YouTuber or a staff member if I'm in an observation and they're looking for ideas where, you know, we all have these amazing teachers and you're in there and you're like, duh, keep up the great work. I mean, I think teachers deserve more than that. So if I'm not that, you know, that was the impetus too. Like, if I'm learning in some of these waters, then I might be able to actually help people who are also wanting to do that.
0: Yeah, amen. Um, all right, and last uh, last thing I've got on our uh, on our list, our, our modified podcast for this one is uh, Brad. You, uh, I mean, from whether we're talking about thirty second book talks to the world book talks to your conversation, I mean, like you're you're involved in so many different ways with literacy and talking about books and, and you have a definite love of reading. Like you will post about, I can't put this book down. Um, you know, there's just, there's just things that, that you, I, I don't know if you give Bradskys for your books or not. I know you do with the food, <laughs> but, uh, um, but so how did you come into this, uh, this love of literacy? I mean, I, I know you've loved to read, but like you have been proclaiming all these great authors and and books that you've been tackling and wanting to share.
1: Yeah. So the, best way I can say it is I was around people who shared their passion with me and it was, it was contagious because I don't think literacy leadership was necessarily on my radar until um, like people like uh, Julie Kirchner and Linda Gibbons, those are media specialists in our district and who both have, have worked here and do work here. Um, Linda still works here. But so, so this, all that to say, like never underestimate the, the, Impact you can have when you're operating from a place of strength and sharing your passion. Because by them doing that and showing up, I started to notice and think, "Geez, I think this maybe should be on my radar." And then, like then, I started to realize, "Geez, I think I should actually be pulling my literacy weight around here instead of just having these two do." Or and not, I don't want to sell our team. Like many people on staff too. Um, so then I thought, like, I'm a part of this school and this place, and they, I think instead of just being neutral on literacy or supportive or kind of rah-rah, it's like, well, what if I actually was learning and doing the work that we want kids and staff to do and doing it alongside them? So all of that, just from being around people who shared their passion consistently, and then, like, they would become kind of my book whisperers, where I'd go to them and look for titles for me or for my own kids And then it's like, well, should they have to do this for everyone? Like, maybe I should actually be aware of some titles to help kids. And just the way that the world works. Now, sometimes we have kids actually come up to me and ask me what I think they would like. And it's like, that is so awesome. And that had nothing to do with me. That had everything to do with just the leadership around me. And that's an amazing thing.
0: You know, and Brad, as as, uh, something you said to me in our last conversation is that, when those book fairs come through to your building and they hand you that little form that says your principal recommends or your teacher recommends, fill those out. Make sure that you're knowing the books and share those with the kids because it, you never know when a kid's going to go, thanks, Mr. Gustafson, or thanks, Mr. Domstrand. I, I I liked that, or they might not have direction. And when they see something you recommend, it might make them pick it out.
1: Yeah, it reminds me with, you know, when we talked about relationships and such, like kids might not be sold on reading yet. They might not have fallen in love with reading yet, but they might love you. They might respect and admire you, whether you're a teacher or principal. So when you bless a book, to kind of use Donalyn Miller language, or when you endorse or book talk and say, I enjoyed this book, you might have kids actually fall in love with reading or at least give it a shot just because they care about you. And that's a really powerful, big deal and responsibility. And we probably don't give ourselves enough credit for the fact that kids look at us in in that way, in, in, in lots of different ways. But that's that's one of them.
0: Well, Brad, I, I, I we went way over again, and I, I'm course. grateful for it because I, I just enjoy our conversations. And uh, if I
1: was I was gushing over your haircut or your you know your hairdo <laughs> for the first ten minutes, <laughs> I apologize, Brad, but it was oh! worth it. Good it stuff. was totally worth it. It was totally <laughs> worth it. We we are both sporting
0: some awesome hair people. So, sure uh, are. Hey, so Brad, how can everybody find you, uh, on the, uh, the social media?
1: Yeah. So my website and blog is bradgustafson.com. And that kind of is a hub that can launch you to anything, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. books. And
0: he's, and he's everywhere. So you, you can find him. You can check out his podcast. We we didn't even get a chance to really talk about his cooking, uh, his, his cooking inspirations that I, I love to see in that that one uh, pizza. Uh, oh, gosh, you, you just, you do. Oh, yeah, the thing.
1: hamburger, yes. cheeseburger pizza was incredible. Thank you for, I'm glad you ended on that because I didn't want the last thing people have in their mind would be the burnt steak. So now I need people <laughs> to think like, fresh homemade cheeseburger pizza. That's the image we want to leave with. Right. It's it—it's inspiring. So everyone follow Brad. He's at Gustafson Brad on Twitter and
0: Instagram. And uh, Brad, thanks for, uh, for being on the podcast. And uh, we're grateful for you. Yeah, thanks for leading the way, Brad. All right, everyone, be sure to uh, hit the subscribe button on the MESPA Principal Cast. And, uh, and thank you to uh, Rachel Miller and Amy Thompson, who also do the editing here. I want to give a shout out and check out the 4 at 4 email coming from MESPA every week. Um, there's some great tidbits in there to help you with your leadership. Make it a great day, everyone. Thanks again, Brad.
1: Thanks, Brad. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mespa Principal Cast. For more information about the Minnesota Elementary School Principals Association, visit mespa.net.